a ghost story from colonial Delaware that proves bullying is universal. A truly terrifying story involving a... I don't know. And then we take a look at an interesting new theory. Is it possible that Donald Trump's Space Force isn't just the sixth branch of the U.S. military, but an opening shot in the war against aliens, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we gotta just jump right into this. First off, let's give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Spiritual Abortion. Spiritual, he actually belonged to Patreon a while back, dropped out for a bit, and then came back. Guys, listen, I know money gets tight. I know there's other stuff going on. I don't take it personally when you stop donating to the Patreon. I appreciate every amount of support I get, Patreon or not. You guys can kick down some cash, totally awesome. And if you can't, just support the show by getting the word out there. Helps out a lot. It helps so much spreading the word. So spiritual, fire up that carpenter copter, and guys, I hope you guys got your old-timey clothes on. We're going back to colonial Delaware. So that's, you know, colonial times is when Americans dressed like leprechauns with the big, like, buckles on their shoes, except we wore all black and white, and then, like, had the big knee-high socks. I, they probably went up further than their knees, right? They probably were, like, thigh highs. And then, <laughs> I sound a little too excited when I said that. I'm like, ooh, I get to wear thigh-high socks. Then you got, like, the short pants. Am I describing a leprechaun at this point? Pilgrims dress like that, too, right? The snazzy le- Why did they dress like leprechauns, now that I think about it? Maybe because they were wishing for religious freedom, huh? Ooh. Just came up with that one. I don't know if that was a joke or, or a political statement. We'll just say both. So we're dressed like leprechauns, but we're wearing all black. Women, you look lovely in your eight layers of cloth dress. We're walking- We have to be innocuous, right? We're walking through- Dover, Delaware. The year is 1740s, and we're just kind of walking around. I just keep going, witch! Witch! I keep pointing at random people. That person's a witch! Watching them get carted off. <laughs> You're like, Jason, that's horrible. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so after all the witch trials are done and everyone's found innocent, and I've changed my disguise so no one knows I was accusing them, let's commence with this story. In the 1740s, there was a man. He was Chief Justice Samuel Chu. Now, we don't have a lot of information on him. He actually was a real person, and I'm sure if I went to, like, the Dover, Delaware State Library, there's probably, like, a bust of him or something like that. Like, I probably could get more information, but the Wikipedia page is pretty sparse, and a lot of the legend, a lot of his stuff is really connected to this legend. But people didn't like What's funny is I can't tell if people didn't like him or if everyone in the town was a jerk. Because he's like the chief justice, so I guess most people don't like judges. Most people don't like police officers, stuff like that. So maybe he did, maybe he was accusing everyone of being witches, and they were all mad at him. People would walk by him all the time and go, Achoo! And they kind of look at him, and be like, get it, get it, because your last name's Chew? And he's like, what? Someone else would be walking down the street. Achoo! Ha <laughs> ha, like your name! And they, That was the joke in town. So, I mean, listen, you may not have a lot of respect for law and order, but openly making fun of a judge probably isn't a smart thing to do. I almost got arrested for, what's that thing called? When you're messing around in, in a trial in court? Um, um, 
not they order in the court is what they say on television but what do they say what's it called when you're like goofing off um they don't tell you hey you knuckleheads quit messing around it was a murder trial my cousin was on trial for murder the um dang it what's that called anyways i was talking to him during the trial and you're not supposed to do that and so the bailiff it was me and my cousin said we we gave him words of encouragement as they were getting ready to like to, uh, get it over contempt of court that was it super emotional time you know my cousin you know dude that i deeply deeply love and still love to this day is on trial for murder he i go i love you and i say his name and then my other cousin's like stay strong and he says his name and we're leaving and the bailiff comes out and he goes you guys i we could we could get you for contempt of court right now we can get you for contempt of court right now. If you do that again, you guys are going to jail. And we're just like, whatever. We didn't say whatever to the bailiff. We both kind of turned away and go, whatever. We didn't hear us. But then, like, maybe a week or two after my cousin's trial, I got called for jury duty. And I got called to that same judge's chamber. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to go over well. So I'm, because I stay, I only missed one day of my cousin's trial. He was found guilty. He's... 17th to life right now but um he's uh i was walking into the walking into her jury room or her courtroom and the the bailiff stopped whoa 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 what are you doing there because he doesn't know why i'm back you know i could be some lunatic or something like that i showed him my paperwork i said hey man i'm i got called for jury duty like a month ago and i was you know i knew this was coming i figured this might happen the bailiff's like you're not coming in here let me go talk and he comes back Goes, talks to the judge lady and comes back to me and he's like, you're not in this trial. And I go, I figured that. And he goes, well, go do a civil trial. Because they knew there was no way I could really be fair at that moment for a criminal trial, having to do all that stuff. But anyways, you're not going to, that was kind of a a side story there. But you're not going to openly, like, again, you're going to go, whatever. whatever, And the bailiff could have busted us right there. I think it was the first day of trial and emotions were really high and the judge was probably like, Give him a warning, but, you know, you can't mouth off in court. Now, you also really can't mouth off in the public square, either. If I saw that judge or that bailiff or anybody just walking down the street a couple weeks later, I can't make fun of them. You can, you have the right to, but you're probably going to get knocked on the head or, that you know, get at the very least a warning, maybe some trumped up charges. Who knows? So the fact that people were actively, and, and I think law, to me, it seems like the judicial system was more strict back then. Back then, they were killing people because they thought you had sex with a pig. We covered that. An ugly pig was born, and they killed the pig and killed this dude. We covered that about a week ago. So, no, I mean, you definitely don't want to be making fun of fun of judges because they'll just be like, oh, look at this disgusting pig I found. Draws a little mustache on it. It has a mustache just like you. You're like, no. So, the fact that everyone in town was making fun of this dude is bizarre, right? They're just openly mocking him. Well, he ends up, he gets nominated for Chief Justice in 1741, but he dies just three years later. So, it wasn't a long period of time where he... I guess any amount of time, everyone in town making fun of you is too long. But 1741 to 1744, he ends up passing away. But... Not long afterwards, so you have the green, which is kind of the common area, and there's a poplar tree kind of poking out of the ground. That's what trees tend to do, right? They don't hover four feet horizontally. It's sprouted. It's grown from a seed. This man is walking by late at night, walking by the poplar tree, 
and he sees the unmistakable image of Judge Chu standing underneath the tree. Races home, tells his wife. The story spreads through town. I saw the judge last night. I saw the judge. That sounds like a country song. I saw the judge last night. I saw the judge. He gave me 20 years for being too nice to his wife. Okay, that's my that's my country country style freestyle. You like that? I don't know if it'll survive the editing process. Anyways, everyone in town's talking about Judge Chu being underneath this tree. A couple nights later, someone else is walking home late at night. Judge Chu sitting under the tree. Now, here's the thing. What's spooky is not only... Oh, it's spooky because there's a ghost, right? But it's a ghost everyone made fun of. To his face. Like, if a ghost showed up of a guy, it was like, oh, oh, that's Jason's ghost. Jason's a really nice guy. He's a pretty cool dude, right? My ghost is flowing around. People would be like, oh, it's going to be a Casper ghost. It's going to be a very friendly guy. If Osama Bin Laden's ghost is flown through your neighborhood, you're going to be a little more concerned, right? You're going to be just a tad bit more concerned than if some goofy podcast host's ghost is floating around. But everyone in town made fun of Judge Chu. To his face, and how his ghost is showing up. They don't know what to do. But Judge Chu knows what to do. Remember, this is the common area. This is the center of town. Pretty much to get from point A to point B, you have to pass the commons. So, people, men start walking down the street late at night. It's, they were doing it before. It wasn't like, oh, there's a ghost. I'm going to start walking down the street. Obviously, these streets were well-traveled. But what started happening is men would be walking down the street. And their coattails would be pulled. Whoa, what the? Let me take another couple. Whoa! They could feel their coattails being pulled. Now that I think about it, pilgrims were like a good 200 years before these guys. So they're not dressed like leprechauns at this point. Or wait, are they? That doesn't matter. That's nothing to do with the story. Leprechauns can have coattails too. The men keep getting their coattails pulled. Now at this point, the women must be thinking, good thing I'm not a man. Good thing I'm not wearing coattails. And that's when the men were like, yeah, good thing you're not a man. Just wait till what happens to you. Because what was happening to the women was they would be walking around and they would feel a cold grasp on their warm flesh. <laughs> Turn around, there'd be nothing there. Now, if I had a choice between having an article of my clothing slightly tugged or feeling the icy clinch of death on my bare skin, I'm wearing coattails. I'm sure a lot of women were buying jackets with coattails and drawing a little little mustache on. They're like, nope, I'm just a man. I'm going to go drink a bunch of mead and um, do a buckle dance with my shoes. Because I've, there's no way you'd want to feel that touch on your skin. It got so bad, and the ghost was seen so often, and it was attacking really so many people. The town started a curfew. It's basically the coronavirus of Dover, Delaware, in 1740s. Because what are you going to do? You're either like, we can practice social distancing, i.e. stay away from the ghost, or we can just quarantine ourselves in our house until uh, hopefully the ghost just disappears, right? Businesses started shutting down when the sun set. It became a ghost, a literal ghost town, because now it's run by a ghost. And people started going, we can't, I'm a bar owner. I can't stay shut at night. That's when people drink. Because that way they can sneak in and out and no one can see that they're drinking. People are like, we can't live in fear. So how do we get rid of an old-timey ghost? And there's some old British dude popping on his pipe. 
He goes, I know of a way. Also, I'm a pirate all of a sudden. In the old country, which it's 1744, so all countries are old countries, but I'm talking about Britain. We have a tradition. It's called a funeral for a ghost. They're like, stop popping that pipe and just tell the story. Okay. It's a funeral for a ghost. What we do is we hold the most lavish funeral possible so the ghost knows that he is loved. And it's time for him to go on. So the town does that. The town holds this massive festival. I don't know if they have like games, parlor games. Dunk the dead judge and it's just like an empty booth. People are throwing beanbags at it. But they had a giant funeral. They had all of the foods and like the big old casket. And everything. I guess that makes it sound like it's actually a funeral for a giant, the big old casket. It's a regular sized casket. The point is, is that the celebration was overly large. And everyone wanted to let the judge know, no hard feelings, please quit damning us to an eternal night of terror. We miss you, we love you, we're sorry we made fun of you, let's have a lavish funeral for someone who was a member of the public. Public leader. And after this funeral, the ghosts disappeared. Men and women could walk down the streets without being attacked, well, by a ghost at least. I can't, I can't guarantee their safety from any other maniac in town. But the ghost was no longer attacking them. People would walk by the commons late at night and look at the poplar tree just to see. And there'd be nothing there. And that is the end. Or is it? Because later, when the story of Judge Chu just became a legend, memories of the lavish funeral just became a memory, the ghost reappeared under that tree. And some say is still there today. It's a local legend in Dover, Delaware. The ghost of Judge Chu is underneath the poplar tree. But, 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 the funeral does seem to have satiated his need for tugging on shirts and grabbing women. Because he no longer leaves that tree. He no longer assaults people. He just stands there and looks at them from the shadows. Which is terrifying. But apparently that funeral made him realize that people really did like him or something. I don't actually know what the funeral would have said in his head. But it it worked. He stopped attacking people. But he's still there. So win? I would count that as a win, right? Anyways, creepy story. I I think it's an interesting story because, one, we always hear stories about, like, A ghost gets killed, then he comes back for vengeance. This guy just got made fun of for three years. And then he basically started attacking people as a ghost. Quite quaint old ghost story. So if you live in Dover, Delaware, I I dare you tonight to break quarantine. Watch, I get in some sort of federal trouble. Inciting a riot. Inciting a one-man riot. If you live in Dover, Delaware, I implore you. Allegedly, I'm not actually saying this. This is a uh, deep, fake voice thing. Break quarantine tonight and go sit under the poplar tree. But make sure there's six feet between you and the tree itself. Or you might find yourself not social distancing from a 400-year-old ghost. And and don't do the math. Just assume that that number's right. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Our next story is actually super short. That one was a bit longer than I thought it would be, but I really like that one. Next one's super short. I came about this on that website, thinkaboutitdocs.com, easily becoming one of my 
go-to sites. This is from the year 1987, and it's taken from a source, a book called The Threat by David Jacobs. It's a book about the secret hidden alien agenda. This one's going to send shivers up your spine. Definitely didn't mind. Let's go ahead. Spiritual, fire up that carbonar copter. We are headed out to the Virgin Islands. Pretty nice. Get a little Mai Tai while I'm down there. I've I've made two Mai Tai references in the past two days. I've never had a Mai Tai in my life. I know it's some sort of alcoholic drink, but is it like a strawberry daiquiri? Is it like it's like a fruity drink, right? I've never had a Mai Tai. Anyways, it's 1987. It's the Virgin Islands where we're hanging out. Land the we're gonna land our helicopter. There's a young woman. She goes by the name Lily Martinson in this story. That's not a real name. That's a pseudonym given to her by the author. Lily Martinson is spending vacation. It's a beautiful vacation on the Virgin Islands. She's hanging out. It's nighttime. And she's dead asleep. But something wakes her up. Her eyes flutter open in the darkness. And she sees at the foot of her bed her brother. Now her brother has passed away. Her brother is no longer alive at this point. And it kind of jolts her awake. But she's laying there barely awake. And at the foot of her bed, she sees her dead brother staring at her, just watching her. And she has a feeling of comfort about it. A feeling of normalcy, like her brother's still watching over her. She's looking at him. He's looking at her. She falls back asleep. That's a very common story. And I'll tell you this right now. If that story's happened to you, skip the next couple minutes of this podcast. That's a very common story. I've heard that story. I've never had an experience like that. I've been visited by loved ones who have passed away in my dreams. And I thought that I've heard them shortly after they've passed away and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that is just me thinking about them. I'll still have dreams where I wake up um, very, very emotional. I've had dreams where I was sobbing in the dreams because I'm seeing people who've passed away. But I've never seen someone, but I've known people who've told me. I have a close friend of mine who told me that she woke up and she saw one of her loved ones sitting at the foot of her bed. So if you are, and I know she listens to this podcast, so just skip, just fast forward or or I'll be with you tomorrow. I don't want to say her name, but it's a very common story waking up one of your loved ones is standing at your bed. Sometimes they'll have a conversation with you, but sometimes they just stand there. So she has this experience. Lily has this experience, right? Later on in life, she undergoes hypnosis. Now, I don't know if she underwent hypnosis to get more information about this thing or just underwent hypnosis just because it was a Tuesday afternoon. Who knows? But I've experienced stuff like this. I remember once I was in my apartment when I was living in Sacramento. I was in an apartment that I truly felt was haunted. And I went there with my friend Liz. We had to go pick some stuff up. And I had actually pretty much abandoned my apartment at this place. I actually had two apartments at the time. It's a long story. But anyways, this was in apartment A. I was also living in an apartment. That's a really long story. But the point is I had multiple apartments at the time. I had to go back to apartment A to get some stuff. And I felt it was terrifying. I felt that it was haunted. I remember walking in and going, I have to use the the bathroom. And I go into the bathroom. And when I'm like washing my hands, I get this sudden feeling that we got to leave. And I remember turning to open the bathroom door that opened out into the hallway. And I paused. This episode is being real personal. I was getting some personal Jason stories in this one. I might have told this one before, but I don't think so. 
And it was probably like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. It wasn't like super spooky or anything. I remember I go to leave the bathroom. And the bathroom's awash in that white fluorescent light. I turn and I go to turn the knob of the bathroom door. And I get this horrible feeling that something's on the other side of the door. And I remember pausing, hesitating. Totally sober at this time as well. And then I was like, well, I gotta leave, right? <laughs> I can't stay in here. I got my friend hanging out in the living room waiting for me. I open the door. And I feel like something kind of hits me with like a gust of wind. Not physically. Not physically. I didn't actually... I just felt a presence in front of me, hallways completely empty. And I walk through the hallway, and I grab Liz, and I'm like, we're out, bro, we're out. Didn't you need to get something? Nope, not anymore. I'll pick it up when the sun's up. We left. And it was maybe like three or four weeks later or something like that. I was hanging out somewhere. Well, I was probably just hanging out with my friends, probably at my non-haunted apartment. And I remember sitting there, and then all of a sudden, I remembered what was in that hallway. I remember now when I opened the, what I, what I basically have two memories. One is the memory of me opening the doors, feeling some, feeling some malevolent presence and then leaving the room. But then I remember I was just sitting there and I remembered instinctively opening the door and seeing, there was an episode, you like that for a cliffhanger? There was an episode I did a long time ago about the blue boy. I think it was when I was talking about Sacramento, something like that. There was this blue boy that was like following me around and i thought i was losing my mind and we kept seeing this it was a not like a boy with blue paint who was like a mascot for a little league team it was this ghost that was like appearing in the back seat and like harassing me at work and all this stuff i thought i was losing my mind every skeptic out there <laughs> believes that i lost my mind and that's fair but remember there's like this 10 maybe 12 year old boy i'm really hard gauging ages like you're either just tiny or you're 21 like that's it you're either 21 years old or you're three it, it, it was a boy in the hallway. I remember opening the door, and there was a boy with no face. But it wasn't like all muscle, tissue, bloody. It was a boy's face with no skin, but instead of where you would see like bloody muscle tissue and stuff like that, it was kind of like a grayish or a blue, like a dull blue. The the blue boy that I had seen seemed to be like almost like an outline, like how you would picture a ghost. This one actually seemed like something different, but it still had the impression of a child with its face ripped off. But I don't remember seeing that. That's the weirdest thing. Like I didn't open the door and it go boogity, boogity, boogity. And I go, ah, I opened the door and I left. But then when my, memory basically when my brain was able to make sense of the insanity that my eyes had seen it created what i would consider one of the most horrifying images and that would be a child in distress a child who's been hurt very very badly i mean that that's something that i think affects people on just a guttural level that would be one of the worst things you can see so, um, whether that was some sort of wraith that actually was a kid who had no face, or it was just, um, I made it up, my overactive imagination, possibly, and it, four, four weeks later, I was just kind of zoning out, my brain made it up, that's definitely possible as well. It could have been something not grody, it could have been a not disgusting child, but something else taking that form, who knows, who knows. But basically, there's like two memories of that. One is the actual physical memory that I remember, that Liz probably remembers too, with me just being like, go, 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 go. And then almost like, you you younger kids probably don't know this, but 
Well, you probably know it, but when I was a kid, we always had those um, projections, you know, you'd put on like the film and then you would have like, you had the big projector, not like a movie projector, uh, not like a slide projector, but the transparent, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You go, Jason, you started off by saying young kids don't know. You'd have the big pieces of plastic and you'd put it on a box and then there was a light thing that would show show it on a wall and then the teacher would just keep putting the other pieces of plastic on it. It was basically like that. It was basically like that thing I can barely explain. It was an overlay. So I have the real memory and then there's an overlay of a ghost standing in front of me. And obviously the real memory is real. The ghost is debatable. It could have been... Me imagining it and the imagine because human memory is so fragile. It really is. Like, you can implant false memories pretty quickly. So, I mean, you got to be honest about that, right? Like, I've had ghost stories, but I most of my ghost stories, even the ones I've told in the past, involve other people around us going, what's going on? Some of the ghost stories where it's just me witnessing it, that's definitely, it could be stress. It could be all sorts of stuff, right? And I'm, and my skeptical age that I'm at, you know, I got to admit that too. But did I finish this story? I didn't finish this story yet, did I? Okay, okay. So the Space Force story is actually going to have to wait till tomorrow. I'm out of time. I got to tell this story here. Let me finish telling the story I originally started telling. Forgot where I left off. Okay, anyways. So she's she she has this experience. She's sleeping in her bed. I got to go over the beginning again. She's sleeping in her bed. She wakes up. Her dead brother is standing at the foot of her bed watching her sleep she finds it comforting that he's still watching over her she falls asleep a couple years later she gets hypnotized and the memory is relived but this time she sees what's really there she's sleeping in her bed on vacation and something wakes her up she looks at the foot of her bed And her brother is standing there watching her. But it's not her brother. What she sees now when her mind is in a deep state of relaxation is a short, bald, gray man with giant eyeballs just watching her, standing at the foot of her bed. She just sees her brother. She has no need to panic. In fact, she's comforted that this thing is in her room. She closes her eyes, falls back to sleep. Because she goes unconscious again. The hypnosis doesn't reveal if the alien did anything after she went back to sleep. But now that cherished memory of knowing there is life after death knowing that your loved ones continue to be with you after you pass away was an illusion was a camouflage created by an alien invader an alien invader in your most vulnerable state when you're asleep i think we can always be afraid of being abducted by aliens or being experimented on by aliens, but being fooled by an alien, being tricked, being tricked by any anybody or anything is frustrating. But to think that an alien life form could be so callous as to take the form of a dead family member. First off, the alien would have to know the family member had passed away, would have to know what the family member looked like. 
would know it was your family member. If I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw her dead brother at the foot of my bed, I'd freak out. So this alien had tons of information about this woman. And used the image of a loved one who had passed away to infiltrate her bedroom. That's beyond terrifying. That's beyond calculating. That's beyond cold. There's no empathy there. That truly is a sign of how evil aliens can be. That's disgusting. And the creepiest thing is, what if that accounts for far more ghostly visitations than we would like to think? You saw your grandmother standing in the kitchen where she always used to stand, and then she turns and smiles and then fades away. Or when you see the silhouette of your uncle, when you smell your sister's perfume in that room she always loved so much. These moments can bring us joy. And I hope that all of these moments are moments of a loved one reaching out. But at least one encounter was something far more sinister. It also gives us pause to think. All of those encounters as comforting as they are, could simply be a way for us to drop our guard and let an alien life form get close to us. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. I love you guys. Be safe, be kind, and I will see you tomorrow.